the Geeks, the show where we talk all things managed services. I'm your host this week, Richard Tubb, and I'm joined by these awesome legends. Say hello, everyone. Hello, hello everyone. Guys. Morning. <laughs> Evening. Scott, Morning. how are you feeling? Just before we went on air, Scott told us, for avid viewers last week, Scott had a bit of a cough and a cold. It's yeah, viral, yeah, yeah. It did. That turned out to be full-on COVID. So I have been oh, nice. literally flat out for a week. Um, so today's the first day I'm feeling a bit more human. You can still hear it. I'm still having to really put effort into breathing, but it's good. I'm glad I had the double vaccines. It was probably as good as it could have been. People have had it a lot worse. So, but yeah, it's exhausting, man. It's exhausting. Yeah. But I am so happy to be back with you guys. I'm going to do this for an hour and then I bet I just crash. <laughs> <laughs> commitment, man. Commitment. And we are yes. socially, socially distanced, as we talked about before. So, Pete is a few, a couple of meters above me. Nigel's over there. Yeah. So we're all safe here. We're all good. To I'm go. a couple of meters this way and 12 hours into the future. Well, that as well. <laughs> so you can't catch it from me. <laughs> and I can't catch it from you. Uh, well, we hope you feel all right, Scott. If you need to to pop off at any points or grab a drink or whatever, just give us a shout. So and if we need to wear masks while we're on here to make sure we don't catch it from you, then uh, no problems. <laughs> should we? Uh, should I'll we put myself in? on mute. That'll, that'll stop it. <laughs> <laughs> mute. I think that was the big news. I was going to say, should we jump into the news though and see what's going on in the industry this week? Absolutely. Um, and I'm picking on you, Scott. You know, Scott comes up with the best news stories because he's got his finger on the pulse. So no rest for, for the wicked here. Microsoft Defender. There's a new Microsoft Defender for business launched at Ignite, Scott, you mentioned. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so that that's really interesting news. So Microsoft Defender for Endpoint uh, was already a thing. It was an, it was an additional product skew. It was like an extra $3 uh, per user per month. But they've now decided to roll that in to the Microsoft Business Premium SKU. So I know a lot of MSPs are pushing on Business Premium, and I'm constantly having that conversation with people to say, hey, you know, can I challenge your traditional MSP stack when it comes to those bolt-on security products? Because we have a really good antivirus. Um, Defender for Endpoint now gives us that sort of endpoint detection and response. It has some of those more advanced features that you might see in like a, like a Sophos Intercept Dex, those really advanced endpoint features are now all rolled in, and it's included in that business premium SKU. And and I saw this kind of about six months ago in, in preview, but we realized it's actually gone live. There is now a web protection filter inside Defender for Endpoint. So if you want to do that web filtering, like again, a lot of MSPs will have a separate antivirus, a separate you know, malware solution, a separate endpoint management solution, and a separate web filter, you know, Cisco umbrella or any DNS, that kind of thing. That's all now baked in to this Defender for Endpoint. And that really great news is that it is now inside the business premium SKU. So I think, like again, for MSPs, I'd be looking at this and I'd be looking at my stack and going, hey, can I simplify? Can I reduce my costs? Can I, cons you know, consolidate? But also one of the big things is the only reason we paid for this, because we get loads of free licenses, right? We're, we're a Microsoft partner. The only reason we paid for this uh, originally is because we have a couple of Macs in the business and Macs don't get free Defender for Endpoint. Well, now they do because it's inside our business premium SKU. So again, if you're an MSP, I'd just be saying, look, take a good look at the security stack from you know the business premium point of view. There's tons more value keeps getting added in there. And again, any you know, one pound, two pound per use per month that you could be drawing out, or sorry, you know, two or three dollars that you can be drawing out, it's going to make a big difference to your monthly profit lines. So really interesting this week from Microsoft. It also yeah. means that the more products are getting rolled, I guess, into the, the 365 suite, the less reliance there is on this RMM platform, because that's a whole other yeah. discussion of, do you still need one? And actually, if you can roll a lot of the features in and monitor it all through Intune and everything else, that's another win. Yeah, you've still no, got this... Um, separation Sorry, that it's, it's, it's going to ask uh, if he was to start an msp again tomorrow because i love you know uh you uh, get asked this question all the time if you were to start an msp again tomorrow would you go all ms or microsoft with like the security and things in, in the same way that scott has I, 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 or would you use something yeah. else yeah so I, I would be very similar to scott i'd go as far as the microsoft platform would allow us uh with with exactly what pete spoke about then is is the need for an RMM tool is becoming less and less and less. I don't think we're just there yet because the, some the multi-tenant is not as good in Lighthouse and whatever just yet, but it's not going to be far off. And and I suspect if I was to start an MSP today, I would have an RMM tool. If I was to start an MSP in 12 months' time, I probably wouldn't by that point in time because I suspect Lighthouse and remote access and whatever will be at a point then where the multi-tenant is good and the access is good and the feature sets are 
are good enough in there to do it. Because let's face it, all the RMM tools that are in the marketplace, most MSPs use 10% of the functionality. Remote um, control and rolling out scripts and some basic monitoring in there. And that's it. The rest of all the crazy functionality they've got, they don't hardly anybody uses. And um, and we certainly didn't. We use those three core basic things and we use them very well. But all of the other craziness that they put in there, we, we've hardly touched any of it. And it just became mess in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Do you know what I think the big shift will be is, because you're right, that the whole multi-tenant piece isn't quite there yet with yeah, White House, yeah. but you know, as soon as they give us that tick box, because we have quick assist, right, for remote yes. access, but yeah. you have to kind of get in touch with the client, give them a digit code, blah, blah. As soon as they put that into Endpoint Manager and you yes. can just go, hey, remote, remote. assist. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I know you can if you bolt in a team viewer license and there's yeah. a way to do that. But mm-hmm. as soon as Microsoft says, look, we have the infrastructure, we've got the, the quick assist product, just stick it into Endpoint. And I, I think you'll really start to see people questioning their RMM it's, tools. It's funny. Like when I think about it at a holistic, like at a high level, Microsoft has had remote stuff in their platform for 20-something years. Like we had the original things back in Windows XP where you could remotely do a computer. It still surprises me and shocks me that there's still even a need for like team viewers and screen connects and all these things and then microsoft just didn't come in and put the category killer in there for free i don't know why we're still at this point where they haven't knowing that remote assist is such a powerful part of of any it pros skill set not just an an msp but anyone sorry what was are microsoft still struggling to get printing working No, I think you hit the, uh, the nail on the head earlier, though, when you said that, you know, when uh, people only use 10% of an RMM tool, Microsoft have got that problem multiplied massively. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, historically, Microsoft Word, Excel, everything, yep. people only use it for the very basic functions. So I think the biggest, I'm going to uh, respectfully disagree with the three of you in the terms of the RMM market. I think it's going to be around for a long time to come. And I think it's not because it's going to have killer features above what Microsoft are offering. It's just that Microsoft, I think, do a much poorer job of enabling their partners to understand how to use it in a real-world yeah, situation, yeah. whereas the yeah. RMM vendors are just focused we're, turned in. Uh, we're probably that. giving them too much – and sorry, Microsoft, but we're probably giving them too much credit for what they could do in 12 months' time here. And you, You're right. Like, <laughs> I want them to be able to get to that point where Lighthouse is going to be bloody awesome and whatnot, but if we look at historical um, – stuff in there like the reality is that these rmm tools have probably got another five years in them and maybe 10 years in them versus the 12 months that i just mentioned in there when you I feel like it's the um the the server virtualization once again like i I remember having discussions with clients way way back and it's like oh the client was saying we're not going to need to replace our server next year are we like you probably will i don't think we're quite there yet no no gonna write all that cost off we're gonna spend it on something else and we'll just do we'll just do the cloud and obviously 12 months comes around (laughs) for a server it's still not there yet i feel like it's going to be yeah. like that but i can definitely longer than what we think both yeah. sides yeah 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 it's true so, there's people like to keep pushing feedback requests to them to to speed the process up and yeah. um the other thing I say, microsoft are also um uh, sort of battling on two fronts here so they've got the direct market and they've got the channel market as yeah. well <laughs> whereas the rmm vendors the psa vendors you know they're focused on one area which is another reason that the the features tend to get adopted uh quicker let's have a look yeah, they're, they're just got- very agile too which is uh ben says couldn't agree more richard i'm going to pick that one out because it's the one person who agrees with me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good morning, Theo. Who else have we got? We've got Craig. We've got lots of people joining us live. Please say hello in on um, whatever platform you are joining us uh, live for. Uh, Scott, I'm going to pick on you again because there's a story here that I know nothing about. Same. And I want to see if we can get you to lose your voice on air as well. So I'm going to keep coming to you for these things. Uh, but Microsoft again. Uh, says Microsoft is auto meta this week with mesh for teams. Tell us more about this. Mixed, re- yeah. mixed reality, augmented reality. I will. I don't know if Pete, if you could, uh, sorry, Nigel, you can just highlight my screen that I'm sharing. That, that's- um, so yeah, there you go. So, so yeah, so I said Microsoft are also Meta this week, because of course, Facebook have rebranded their holding company to Meta. Um, but Microsoft are also making their steps and talking about their Metaverse capability. So this is their augmented reality version of, of being able to host meetings. And so essentially creating digital twins of, of existing mm-hmm. spaces so that you can come and meet people as an avatar. And then that has extended. So you could you could meet people in these great 3D spaces with avatars. You can use like their HoloLens or you know any of the kind of 3D goggles to meet with people. But also what they're doing is they're taking that same kind of idea and they're bringing it to Teams, as you can see here. So instead of people being on video, you could actually use a, a digital avatar. And I think this has huge possibilities for people who 
you know, who really want to represent themselves on camera, but are just for whatever reason, not comfortable to be themselves on camera or, or just to be on camera at all. Mm-hmm. And so it lets people portray a representation of themselves that they want to be seen in the public space. And so I think it's a really powerful thing, you know, when we come down to stories around diversity and, and inclusivity, you know, it's this ability for people to be who they want to be seen as in their public meetings and as their public persona. And so this is a really nice thing that I think Microsoft have, have brought together. Now, I'll be honest, I've seen a, a huge amount of technology like this, you know, over the years, we all remember things like Second Life, and we've all seen like the avatars that you've had in, even in, in the gaming world, you know, when you've been in the PlayStation world or Metopia and things like that, where we've had these digital avatars. But this is kind of combining, you know, a real simplicity that you can use this with your mobile phone as well as, you know, with your desktop computer. And when you've used the iPhones, you've seen those uh, memojis or whatever they're called now where you can kind of change your face and it'll be a panda or it'll be, an, uh, you know, whatever. And it tracks your facial movements and how your mouth's moving. These digital avatars are like that, but to the next level. And so they're able to represent, you know, you as you want to be seen inside the meeting spaces. So I just think this is a really nice uh, move. I think... Yes, there's a bit of gimmick to it. Yes, it's a bit of an interesting use of technology. But actually, I can genuinely see there are some people for who this is going to be a real sort of opener for their communication and for them to be able to get that confidence to get out on camera with an avatar that represents their true self, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't know if any of you guys, the start of your video journeys was the same as me, but it was horrific experience trying to get comfortable on camera. And, and stuff like this just absolutely can make it so much easier for you. Even when I was first getting photos of me online, I made cartoon, I had cartoon avatar based ones done of me because I didn't even want my photo showing up there. So little things like this that, that help you take those first steps a little bit easier or a little bit better um, to me are, are awesome just to get that kind of confidence because camera confidence takes some time. It took me bloody long time to get camera confidence. And I suspect you guys had a similar journey where you, you go through and you, you, shit scared of being on camera the first 10, 20, 30, 40 times. But if you've got a little, let's call it a, a cartoon avatar to hide behind you find your first 10 times, it just helps you just get that comfortability in there. And then you can, and you, you, if you keep at it, you'll get to the point where you're, you're happy putting your, yourself up there. And then, then you get to the point where you just don't care like us. So I don't give a crap anymore what it's like, but it t- took me, you know, as I said, I suspect it took you guys as well a long time to get to that point, a lot of work to get to that point. And I'd just, be interested just, to see if people actually use this. Like, I, yeah, I same. A single person who uses that like Memojis thing on their iPhone, even yeah. to, like send the odd. Like, My kids do. <laughs> that's about it. Really? My kids do to have conversations with mum. And that's it. <laughs> they just do those stupid bloody, I'm a panda for the day and I'll send mum a panda video because my panda face is on. Uh, but I, I have not seen anyone yet use this stuff in, a, in any sort of real world environment apart from kids being silly with, with grandparents. That's it. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'd love to see it used, but um, yeah. I'm time's going to tell. Yeah. The uptake of these technologies as a whole. So, have, have any of you guys got like a, an Oculus Quest or a VR headset or anything like that? Hololens. Yeah, I do. Kind uh, yeah. Of. Yeah, as one in the background. It's interesting. I asked the question on the Tech Tribe the other week in the forums because um, I was introduced to the Oculus Quest Two uh, by James Steele across at Zen Software. He says you've got to try this out mm-hmm. in the way that people who get it are trying to tell other people, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Check it out. And the rest of us go, yeah. Huh? So anyway, I, I bought one on a whim and oh my, it's incredible. Like it is mind blowing technology. Like it is leaps and bounds ahead. If, if you've not checked out virtual reality, augmented reality in the past few years, it has taken a, you know, just a, a quantum leap from where it was. Anyway, I asked on the, uh, the tribe, I was like any other Oculus Quest users out there, and the tribe's a fairly cool place. We've got people who use cutting-edge technology, and and let dare I say, people are into tech. We've got we've got nerdy people like me. We've got geeky people. I asked the question, and out of the thousands of tribal members, we had about three people who said, "Oh yeah, yeah, I bought one." And right. so I'm a little bit shocked if the <laughs> technology is not being taken up within the tech industry or within our space. What hope is it for yeah. it being taken up at the end user space? So I think it's an interesting one. Yep. The, the quest is um, really interesting. I, f- I find particularly with the quest, it's the youngsters that go on board first. Um, yeah. It's, it's the their early like, adopters. The game console. Um, but that, yeah, the quest is incredible. I don't know. If you played the Star Wars games, you must have played the Star Wars games. Of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> but and if you really you, want you... to blow your mind with the um, the quest, if you can hook it up to your PC and play the Half-Life Alex, the graphics, right. the interaction is the best game hands down vr i've ever seen 
such a good experience. So that's a bit off topic. um, Incredible technology (laughs) as well for for co-working and things in there. Yeah, I was just about to say, Richard and and Pete, have either of you guys, and maybe Scott as well, have any of you guys seen an Oculus Quest yet being used in a business scenario? There are apps out there where you can have multiple monitors, you can sit there, you can work, you can co-work with other people. And again, I'll quote uh, uh, my friend James Steele at Zen Software. He actually uses it, you know, to have meetings. Uh, he does, people, right. Again, with other people who are, who yeah, have say, like us. Yeah, <laughs> an Oculus Quest. So other people like you and me, yeah. Pete, but yeah, not. You, know, you not see you see on the marketing videos all these amazing ideas that it could be used. And I just, as as yet, and obviously I'm not in the MSP space anymore, so I don't have a bunch of clients to, to have as a thing out there. But I'm wondering if any of you guys have seen in your clients that people have, have started to adopt some of that technology yet or whether you've seen it in, in other businesses. Sure, out there, I think it? it's still quite new for that. I mean, yeah. Coming from a geek's perspective, like you, you put the headset on, you can see some screen tearing. The resolution isn't the best. The refresh right. rate isn't the best. It, yeah. It's making massive improvements. Um, you know, from the one to the two was a big step up. But um, it, it's kind of still gaming is the the main, time. and it's very much gaming at the moment. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to be able to walk around. Um, I remember when we used to have our large office. There's a game where you can you basically shoot things, and you can literally walk around in your office, pick <laughs> things up off the floor, throw cool. them over there. It's, Fully interactive, as long as you don't obviously crash into anything. But it's yeah. such good fun. <laughs> it is great fun. If you've not tried it lately, if you've not tried Oculus or any of the virtual reality, Richard's going to send you a free one. I'm not going <laughs> to send you a free one. People will tell you though that the the minute somebody you persuade somebody to put it on and try it, within 30 seconds they're like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" <laughs> and it, you know, totally sold on it. So if you've not tried it, go along to like John Lewis or wherever in your local. Uh, country and uh, just try it on you would be blown away by the quality i, I did try one maybe well i don't know it wasn't the oculus it was microsoft's whatever microsoft thing is in the microsoft store out here in sydney i went in maybe two years ago and went in and i got sick because it was that good like i went on this roller coaster thing and up and down and I, I lost my stomach i went oh my goodness this is freaking amazing so the, I, I I fully get... a, um, walk the plank i don't know if you come across that oh, yeah, I don't, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys might have convinced right. me to go and buy one Go and get Go one. And Go and get one. You'll, uh, next week, Joe Nigel will be on here and say, I want to go <laughs> to talking about augmented and virtual reality. Yep. <laughs> right, let's move on. There's a new story that came up this week. Now, I often get accused, and Nigel, I think you get this as well. We are very vendor-friendly, it's probably uh, safe to say. We believe that vendors are a part of our ecosystem. We don't think there should be this confrontational attitude between MSPs and vendors. So we get a little bit of flack for that because some MSPs come back to us and say, ah, you don't know what it's like in the real world. The vendors, they're all rubbish and this, that, and the other. So I wanted to highlight a story here that just cracked me up uh, this week. And I don't know if we can show it on the screen. It's an article from a CRN uh, magazine, Channel Web here in the UK. And the headline of the story is, it's easier to speak to God than my account manager at a vendor. Uh, the, 20, <laughs> the 21 most brutal burns from the CRM vendor report, 2021. Um, yeah, it makes for some very, very yeah. interesting reading. So for anybody who's watching this who is not on my side, and perhaps Nigel's side of the camp, and thinking, hey, vendors are doing their best job, <laughs> there is some incredibly good fuel for the fire uh, within here. There's lots of very familiar uh, Yes, names. there's some MSP-specific names in there. Yeah, there is. And again, this is not picking on anybody because let's be honest, this this article, you know, Doug Woodburn put it together over at uh, CRN here. It is meant to be clicked on. It's meant to draw your attention to right. it, isn't it? So there's going to be, you know, lots of, um, uh, of stuff in there that's going to draw attention. But there is some really interesting uh, and I think legitimate <laughs> feedback in there as well. Uh, apart from the really hilarious comments in there, like... Um, <laughs> like quote six on the big screen now. And uh, one trick pony refusing to innovate and things like that. There yeah. is some some uh, some actual uh, legitimate feedback. I think, uh, for instance, quote number four was their salespeople have adopted the pushy American standard, right. and it goes down badly in the UK. I think there's a genuine lesson there for some of the uh, some of the vendors perhaps who are watching this over the cultural differences in different countries, and the definitely US vendors who are sweeping into the or North American vendors sweeping into the UK and the sort of uh, response they can get there. But just wondered your your feedback on this, guys. I know this is a story perhaps you'd not not seen before now, but uh, is it fair? Is it just clickbait? What do you think about it? I think reading that list. You can probably read every single one of those and go, yeah, at some point or another, it's, it's, I'd agree with that. I think absolutely. Um, 
not naming any names, but I've certainly had some of those experiences myself. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer that it, it can happen and does happen, but um, it's the uh, reaction that the vendors do after then. And if they can fix right. things and improve things, and right. then that's, that's the main thing for me. If they've got best intentions, then, then great. I know, you know, to highlight one there, ConnectWise, obviously ConnectWise have had a huge change in the last few years. They've been bought out, staff changes, company changes, everything. But every time I do speak to the people there, they are trying their best and they're, they're trying to kind of do the best that they can do. Um, but yeah, I, I'm interested to see what everyone else thinks, but I, I can definitely see a lot of those things on there that, yeah, I, I was on my head and go, yeah, I've, I've had that. I've had that. I've had that as well. <laughs> yep. I think that's, um, that's the I, main thing is that, sorry, you go. No, I was going to say, I'm intrigued. So, Scott, you've narrowed your vendor scope, haven't you? So most MSPs watching this will probably have a dozen, if not more, vendors that they they interact with. You've really narrowed the scope, though, haven't you? Yeah, and and, and my primary vendor doesn't care about me uh, because I don't spend <laughs> enough. And and that that was going to be my point. I think if you look at the the brands you know that are on this list, and then you look at the sheer volume of MSPs. Don't forget, in every single country around the world, they just don't have enough staff to to give a crap about every single MSP. They just don't. It's not, not possible. Not the prices we pay. That's the thing. Not no. The prices and so pay. what they what they have to do is focus on who spends the most money with me and my product, who's really behind my product, who's really backing my product and pushing it out in front of everything else. Um, and, and I totally get that, you know, and, and that's like I say, you know, I'd like to think, you know, my previous roles, we used to be a big deal with Microsoft in the UK, but in my current position and the current spend that we have with them, we're just not. And and that's a reality of it. And so I can understand when they say, hey, you know, I can't get hold of a product manager. I can't uh, get through. They only care when I've got a sale. Yeah, generally because you're probably not spending enough with them. It's my honest heart of hearts feel. And that's, that's from a guy who will live, breathe, and die Microsoft, but I know that <laughs> they don't know my name, right? And that's, just, that's the I biggest thing. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. You have awareness over that, which is the most critical part of the whole lot, is you've got, you've got awareness around what you're bringing to the relationship as well, and you know that you're not bringing what they really need in the, the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of spend out there. And I think whenever I see the vendor, or sorry, MSPs out there that are kicking and screaming at the vendors out there, it's typically the one and two and three-person businesses, and they've got a completely unrealistic expectation of what the vendor should be bringing to them at the level that they're, they're able to spend at that vendor. And if they, they put themselves in the vendor's shoes and go, okay, well, you're giving me this amount of money. I'm making this much profit of you. How how much more can I dish to you without turning it into a complete loss out there? Yeah. And and I think as long as we've got awareness that like everyone's going to break stuff, every vendor's going to break things, there's always going to be things going wrong. But as Pete said, it's it's how the vendor responds in there and um, and how they they treat you through that particular process that really what defines them. It's not that you can't, you're going to have to go and as soon as a vendor gets something wrong, you're then going to have to go, all right, time to jump vendors now because that one's crap because they got something wrong. Every vendor you deal with is going to get something wrong. No matter how long, how many vendors you've got, no matter how little vendors you've got, they're all going to get something wrong. Just like we get stuff wrong in our MSPs all the time. And in the tech tribe, we get stuff wrong all the time, but we like to think it's how we approach and respond to that, that, that keeps our clients with us and maintains that loyalty out there. I think some some MSPs, none on this call, I'm sure, but some MSPs out there just need to take a bit of a gut check into into what they are bringing to that relationship and kind of level up and right size their expectations in terms of, of what they're expecting out of that particular vendor for what they're putting into that particular relationship out there. I um, said with my most way, tribal well, love hat on. With um with, with many vendors, I see it happens in waves where they'll go, oh, actually, you know, let's look after our big clients and you know give them all the support they need. Oh, hang on a minute. Lots of money's on our big clients. That's a lot of risk to us. If we look at our smaller clients and help them grow, then that kind of diversifies our risk. They'll focus on the small clients for another year or so. And I saw that in, um, I think, tech data mainly was one, one of the big disties I've used a lot over the years. And they would kind of flip-flop back and forth between focusing on the bigger clients to like giving you a personal account manager. Oh, now you've got a group account manager. Oh, now we're not going to worry about you at all and you can just pl- place your orders through the website. Oh, hang on a minute, you're important again. And it's just that constant <laughs> back and forth that get so frustrating as an MSP yeah. owner you yeah. know where you stand and do we have an account manager now has it changed Did, what, what, what do we do and it's just constant that's that's the the fun and it games is. of having mo- and multiple vendors and then trying to manage that across you know like you're saying 10 15 20 different vendors it, it's a job in itself it is it's madness well I've uh, I've put the flame bait out there for the, uh, the vendors. <laughs> I've got the vendors watching and they're ready to throw stones at me <laughs> they are sorry vendors 
I'm going to love you a little bit here and uh, and talk about you know we said Scott you said we're not going to appear on Microsoft's radar because we just don't sell enough. I absolutely agree with that, and I think I agree with what Nigel said about leveling up your expectations. But what we did as a, a really small ven a really small MSP with the vendors back in the day was actually ask our account manager how can we become your favorite partner. Mm. Now, lots of people watching this are going to go, I don't know who my bloody account manager is. We haven't got one, <laughs> which is a problem at the, on the vendor side. Agreed. We did know who our account manager was at Microsoft and, and other uh, vendors. We actually said to them, what are you bonused on? Right. What are you, what do you get paid? Not, I'm not talking about the company. What do you get paid for? And sometimes it surprised us with the answers we got back. It wasn't all licenses. So, for instance, um, I remember we worked with Trend Micro back at the day, and our account manager, a lovely lady called Bree, uh, she told us that, oh, I get uh, compensated on the amount of your engineers that get certified, uh, new partners that come on board, and other things like that. So we said, we can help with that. We'll commit to getting all of our engineers certified. Oh, and every, every user group we go to, we're going to tell them how awesome Trend Micro are. Suddenly, we started getting a load of leads back. You get all the leads across, then, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you've got to think of the human element in there as well. And, you know, we did exactly the same approach in Microsoft and ended up being one of the first MSPs in the UK to roll out Windows 7 a year ahead of anybody else and, and stuff like that. So not disagreeing with anything you said, Scott and Nigel, but I, I know, you know you're not. You're your back you and ask totally what, right. what we said. It's that. You're yeah, like, you're, you're you totally want to bring right. more to the relationship if you want more out of it. And and I'm 100% in agreement with that in that our, one of our core values of my MSP was we want to be our client's favorite vendor and, in capitals, our vendor's favorite client in there. And I'm 100% with that. It's the more – like. That's why you and I, Richard, are so bullish, and I'm sure you guys are as well, bullish on the MSP vendor relationship not being this but being this and figuring it out. And and it is hard. It's messy. It's it's horrible at times. But you've got to look at that 20,000-foot view and, and do things like Richard said there, those little things of building a relationship and taking some of that, that onus on yourself as well to go and, and figure out what's in it for them and help them get what they need out of this relationship as well. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'm a thousand times in on it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I will draw your attention to one final quote from that article, which I find hilarious, <laughs> by the way. It's easier to speak to God than my vendor account manager. But quote number 20, going looping back to something we said earlier, uh, an MSP said, they, being any of the vendors on the list, have to do better as Microsoft has started competing at the lower end of the market. So I think that links mm. back, doesn't it, to something we said earlier. You know, vendors, you've got to be aware, Microsoft, over time, they're just going to keep snapping away at yep. the bottom ends there. And so you've got to uh, keep ahead of the curve. Yep. And they do realize that like a lot of, Microsoft get a lot of flack from the small business MSP community that they don't care about their partners. And and when you really look in behind the scenes, they care a crap load about their partners. They just care in different ways than what a lot of MSPs think they should be caring at the moment. And you just got to you just got to do that research and figure out what do they care about for us and what can I do? And a lot of it's around. Um, I know a lot of Microsoft are incentivized in in uh, there's people inside Microsoft that are incentivized in, around getting their users to use more of the platform, not around licensing sales, but around getting users to use more of the platform. And if you can become an MSP that's helping them get their users use more of the platform out there, they're going to be throwing leads at you like crazy versus just selling selling more licenses in there because that's another thing that they're they've got on their KPI radar. Yeah. yeah, you're you're absolutely right. You've you've got to find out what those metrics are yourself. Correct, yeah. They you know, change, especially when it comes to Microsoft. They do. They they'll yep. change every July. You know when the new yep. financial year comes out. Every yep. October when the new incentives come out, and you need to stay on top of that. And if you know if you're in the smaller MSP space, work with Microsoft. You don't have an account manager. It's up to you. All the information is right there in Partner Center and inside the Partner Incentives Portal. Go and figure out what those key metrics are. And when you start turning those needles. There are little green light dashboards inside Microsoft that start lighting up. And when they light up, you get interesting. And when you're interesting, leads come your way, incentives come your way, funding pots come your way. But you can't take that approach. You go, well, I don't know who my account manager is. Chances are if you're a smaller MSP, you don't have one because they, they, you know, they, they have to work and, and prioritize. But you can start to stand out for yourself by making sure that you put that effort in. And, and exactly as you said, Nigel, it's about making that real effort and and you know richard what you said about understanding what are the metrics what are the drivers that those people care about and then how can you push those forwards and you do that independently it's your efforts you don't, don't just sit back and hope for it to, to come to you 
Yep. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the live, oh. the live chat. No, just before we go, because oh. Robert's asked, how do we work closer with vendors when we're part of a buying group? Ooh, now, the question, question of buying groups, a whole different, we could probably yep. spend an hour talking about that. What I would say, though, for Robert and anybody else watching, it's like, oh, I haven't got the relationship with a vendor. Start the relationship. Do what I said earlier. Just pick up the phone to your account manager and say, how can we help you? Uh, if you don't know who your account manager is, as Scott said, go and find out who your account manager is. If you don't have an account manager, go to your vendor partner and say, we would love to be doing this, this, and this. Is there a chance that we can have an account manager who can help us along the way with it? So, you know, the onus does, I think, fall on you as the MSP to actually seek that out. And in terms of uh, Robert, he says, being part of a, a buying group, I don't know what your guys' opinion on this. I don't think the rules change if you're part of a mm. buying group you still build up the relationship because vendors are always looking for MSPs that will do testimonials, that appear on videos, that will serve on uh, advisory uh, councils, advisory councils yeah. all of those sort of things, yeah. yeah. And I think with a buying group, you can actually be in a better position because you can represent the buying group when you go and have those conversations. And so if you're buying through a buying group, you might go to your buying group and say, hey, I'd like to to be part of the, the, the cohort that talks to Microsoft or talks to whatever vendor it is in there. And then when you're turning up and having these conversations with Microsoft, you're not talking about just your spend. You're talking about the whole group spend behind you and they're going to take you even more seriously at that point in time. But I've, I've never worked through a buying group, so I don't know how to navigate those kind of layers as well as what some of you guys might. And then we always went direct with Disties out here. Yeah, agreed. Well, we've uh, alienated the vendors by yep. telling them. <laughs> we've alienated the MSPs by sending them to the naughty step as well. Should we move? <laughs> Should we move on to the hot topic of the week? Yeah, ladies um, and gentlemen, this is the Microsoft Partner Show now. I think we. <laughs> so last week, while we were talking about various things, and the show shows available on YouTube to go back and uh, check out, um, the topic of hiring staff, uh, recruiting staff, outsourcing VAs. This is a recurring topic, isn't it, Nigel? So. Um, uh, and it's a topic you and I talk about quite a lot. Perhaps we could kick things off by talking about how you do things within the tech tribe at the moment, because you know you and I are both very familiar with outsourcing and working with VAs and right. things. Yeah, if we're talking on a VA perspective, and I'm, I'm one of these guys that I don't really like the term VA because it's just it's kind of generic and it's hard to describe what a VA is. Like to me, you're either it's a contractor arrangement essentially, and and it's just someone that's not directly employed by my business. And um and so for us in the tech tribe, we have two employees, myself and my wife in the business, but we have other full-time employees. It's just because they're on the other side of the world. They're a contractor, which some people would call that a VA. We just call it part of our team. Like they're just part of our team. And um, and we work with them through different ways. We use, we've got a couple of part-time people through sites like Upwork. We have our full-time team members like Javier, our community manager. And Richard, you're, you're, you work with the tech tribe, but you're essentially a contractor, which some would say that's a VA or whatever it happens to be. But you're, you're contracted to the tribe and you work with the tribe very closely. And we've got, a, we've got probably yeah. six or seven of them and then three or four of us core team members that are contractors but not really I – don't, I don't class them as VAs. I class them as just core team members in there. Yeah. And, um, so um, how does this apply to managed service providers, IT mm. businesses watching? Because, you know, VAs, anybody, virtual assistants, anybody uh, can work with them. But the first step I see most IT businesses looking at is potentially outsourcing their help desk Yes. Or then knock yeah. their network yeah, yeah. operations yeah. Like, or, uh, much more at the moment, or something a lot of businesses are considering is outsourcing their SOC, their security yes. operation yeah. centers. Because yeah. let's face it, there's too much going on. Try to put your own together. That's not <laughs> easy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pete, what's your what's your thoughts about this? Have you did you do any outsourcing within your MSP business? See, I I go at the opposite path really, and I, I know me and Scott have talked about this before, but I I'm very much a case of I wouldn't outsource like the fundamental core of the business yeah you're, you're, you're there to provide support to your clients i feel very nervous about then giving that away to somebody else to deliver a service um my first go-to's would be the other things like your accounts because that's one quoting and admin and right quoting yeah. all the admin stuff i wish i had a va um like on day one of starting my my msp like 10 years ago or so i've, I've done it now i've started my new businesses i've got a va straight away um it just saves so much of that admin time and then you can spend the time kind of finding and delegating the other tasks. And it's that whole thing of just going through your working day, write down everything you're doing, and then just going through later on and going, do I actually need to do any of this or some of this? And just highlight the ones you want to get rid of and then find people to do them. Um, yes, there's a cost associated with it. Um, but the time you get back to then spend on other things that can generate more money massively outweighs the yeah. risks. And there's a cost of not doing it. And that's more expensive yeah. than the cost of doing it. Uh, 100%. Exactly that. 
But I know there are some fantastic, and I, I've, I've chatted with, uh, you know, Jason, um, Uptime Solutions. He's a fantastic guy. They've got a great business. Um, Inbay, there's so many other kind of companies around now that can you can outsource to. Um, maybe I'll pass to Scott, because I know Scott's got um, some actual working experience um, of outsourcing the help desk. Um, it's something I'd never considered before. And now I've spoken to Scott, I, I probably would be. That's like my first go-to now. <laughs> Set up new MSP, just outsource the help, the help desk. <laughs> it's a lot easier, less stress. It's the commoditized part now, and it's becoming more and more commoditized. So it's becoming easier as doubt. a service to get your help desk. Yeah. When in no, doubt, ask there. what would Scott Riley do? That's yeah. <laughs> just outsource it all to Scott. <laughs> Who will outsource it to Who someone will outsource else. it to someone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, interesting what you said, Pete, because... I think it, it came down to for us um, exactly what you said. It was it was not outsourcing our core business, and our core business is not help desk services. Our core business mm-hmm. was the consultancy right. and the right. you know the Microsoft three sixty five and Azure piece. It was that deep intelligence and and you know strategy and all that all that kind of cool stuff that we could do around those technologies. And as part of that, we were like, yeah, but once you've done this cool project, it's got to be supported. And I didn't like we we were only a small team. And I didn't want to start, you know, distracting those guys with break fix and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, as an escalation, you know, if, if someone in a first or second line couldn't get there, there was an opportunity, I guess, here in the UK to bring in um, apprentices or that kind of thing, and and sort of grow, you know, skills in house. But again, that would be a huge distraction on the team. And so it was a very early conversation that I had with with you, Pete, when we started, you know, our, our coaching relationship together was. You know, here's where I am and here's what we're thinking of doing with managed services. And I was chatting to Jason at, at Uptime. I'd looked around quite a few, you know, ConnectWise had an offering um, or Continuum, sorry, as, as it was at the time, uh, InBay or those kind of guys. And I was I was very, very bullish on wanting it to be a UK-based service desk for UK customers. It was just I wanted to make sure that they just had that initial impression that, hey, we're still talking to Cloud Nexus and it's in the UK. Um, And Uptime's offering just seemed to hit that right on the head. Like, look, our service desk is based in the UK and we have an overflow from the the night shift, like the 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. that's based in New Zealand. And I was like, oh, man, who doesn't love to talk to a Kiwi? So you're either talking to someone in the UK or you're talking to a Kiwi. Either way, that's going to be a great friendly experience. And so that kind of gave me some real confidence. But it was when we looked at the numbers you and I, Pete, and I was like, okay, tell me about like when your service desk got to scale and you had like a thousand endpoints to manage and how many staff and what did the costs look like? And then we looked at the same cost for me to outsource that to uptime and they were pretty much net. And I was like, okay, so if the costs are the same and I can still add a markup and, and take my margin, but I don't have to manage a five-man service team, which is what I have, plus a service delivery manager on top. I don't have to manage, recruit, hire, deal with sickness, absence, training, any of those kind of things, backfill if someone leaves the team. I don't have to deal with any of that. And what I do is I take a price per user per month, and then I mark that up by, I'll be clear, 50%, and then I sell it through to my customer, and they get a good level of service. And that's been the thing to prove over the last 12 months is it a good level of service? Has it always maintained to be a good level of service? And the answer is yes. Could I have done any better internally for those same costs? No. And, and it would have been a distraction from our core mission. And so actually, for me, it, it's been a beautiful experience. Now, I, I, again, it's not a core part of our business. Okay, So when we do it, I outsource it and I'm happy with it, but it's not like a huge revenue stream for us. So it's not like if I split the the pie up of all our income and go, hey, this is 30, 40% of our revenue streams. It's just not. The majority of our stuff comes from, uh, you know, professional services and projects and things like that. So take that in mind, you know, when I talk about this stuff, but I can still see that model scaling really well. And it's about choosing the right partner. And for me, you know, this isn't an advert for uptime, but Jason and the team at uptime have been amazing for us. And and the customers get a great sense. They get to know the same five people. It's their pod. You know, they know them by name. I think... There are some downsides, you know, we don't have a control over it. And so, you know, if there is a service issue or if it's not performing properly, you know, we will speak to the team uptime and say, hey, you know, can we do a bit better? You're not directly in control of that, you know, so that there is some discomfort, but you've got to be sure at all times that they're representing your brand in the best way possible. And I genuinely think with our outsource arrangement, that works. That That is a huge thing, but it's it's on you then to make sure and set those expectations that it does work for your customers. Yeah. So surely when scaling a team, like in, in that kind of sense, 
does it get to a certain stage where it grows and actually it makes sense to then bring that role in-house? I see. I, I keep looking at that, and I think where you know where is the scaling point? Where is the changing point? And and that was that conversation with you really early on, which you said, hey, you know, when we got to a thousand endpoints, it was this much cost per month in staff costs and and all the effort around that. And I look at it and go, but if this team are still doing it and they're doing a really good job, why would I bring it in house? It's not a cost, but if it was a quality issue then I would say, okay, now I'm now I'm going to look to bring that in-house because I want to take control over it. But with that control comes all the headache of, bear in mind, like, we don't pay for an RMM tool or an IT glue account or you know the monitoring agents getting deployed in all those machines. Every time there's a new start or a lever, we don't deal with any of that headache at all. And it is such a relief to be able to have your guys focus on, yes, they get escalations from time to time, but focus <laughs> on like the senior interesting projects and that way it's so much easier for us in a mindset to keep our guys you know well educated well up to date on on the latest things that are happening like the new defender stuff how do we integrate that into the product set all of that stuff is much easier for us because we don't have the the day-to-day i don't i i almost want to say niff naff and trivia but just the, the 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 regular bottom level of first and second tier break fix stuff that we don't have to deal with and it's taken care of really well if that quality suffers then I'll look at you know having an overlay or having a you know an escalation bath and then as a final step bringing it in house. But what I might do is is change the conversation. Say okay, escalate faster. Here's a resource inside my business that you can escalate to faster uptime because we're not getting these things resolved quick enough. I want you to have a dedicated person or contact or whatever that you can escalate to. But you're still going to do the majority of the work, but you can escalate to me faster. Okay, that's what I want. So I'd probably change the dynamic of the relationship before I said, hey, let's take the whole thing in-house. Question to you, Richard. I'm going to pick on you. If you were starting an MSP today, what would the... Okay, first question. Is there something you don't think you could outsource in an MSP? Yeah, the... On the free, on the floor, feet on the ground relationship. So Nigel and I talked about this. We had, um, uh, I actually forced Nigel to have a drink with me a while ago. Um, and we still got a hangover. We still got a hangover. We had gin and tonics or so. And we talked about um, running an MSP again today, what it would look like. Um, we've both talked about, we think it is absolutely possible to run a million pound, million dollar MSP with two people. Hmm. But one of those people would be somebody on the ground to go around and do account management. If you follow the traditional model of, uh, running a managed service provider as a small business working with other small businesses in your local community. So I don't think you can outsource that. And actually, uh, you know, in answer to your question, there's probably a lesson there for MSPs who are looking to outsource their sales. They mm. look to abdicate responsibility for mm. the sales. And actually, in my experience, the best salesperson in any business is you, the business owner, because you go out and build that relationship with people. People do business with people they know, like, and trust. So I don't think you can outsource that aspect. However, I think just about everything else you could outsource. So I, I was intrigued. I was going to ask Scott, when I ran my MSP business, we were nervous about outsourcing the client-facing stuff. Mm. So we were nervous about outsourcing the help desk. And, of course, you know, I'm an old man in the industry. Back when I did it, you know, outsourcing wasn't as prevalent and stuff. We had some horror Nowadays, stories back then. <laughs> Nowadays, I'd have no hesitation. Yeah. But we outsourced our knock. Because as you said, Scott, I don't know anybody in the industry, or perhaps there's a few who wear Metallica T-shirts and like sitting in a dark basement. I don't know anybody who likes playing around with backups and patching and rebooting servers and doing stuff out of hours. We outsourced all of that to a company called Zenith Infotech at the time. Um, so, But my question to you, Scott, was going to be, have you ever had pushback from clients about who are these people we're speaking to? It's not you on the help desk, that is. No, and I've actually been quite transparent about it as well. And I think that makes a big difference yeah. because I've, I've explained it to them. Like we, we tend to go in and do the transformation project and they'll get used to, you know, me and my team and how we work. But we'll be very clear to say, look, these are our, you know, project consultant guys and, and they're here to do full effort on everything. Here. We'll always be here for you. But we have a partner team that runs our service center and, and they still answer the phone as Cloud Nexus, but they they know. 
Like they know it's not us. They know it's an outsourced relationship. And we've been honest about that. And I think that makes a difference because you've set the expectation straight away that, yeah. hey, you know, the, this is the team of guys that deals with break, fix, can't remember passwords, printers not working, all that stuff. And this is the team of guys that, you know, get does the high level project yeah. stuff. If this team of guys gets stuck, you always have this team of guys available. We're always here. We don't go away. We don't just pretend we don't answer the phone anymore or any of that stuff. We're always here. And occasionally, you know, we we do dip in and we'll take the direct call. And then I know we shouldn't, but occasionally we'll say, yeah, hey, you know, let me get on that straight away for you. We'll, we'll sort it out. And so they know that there's a, there's a, there's, there's a different model. They, they understand that. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing as well is when you talk to them about uh, clients about helping them understand why it's there as well. It's there to help them get faster support at a cheaper price yeah. as well. Because if they wanted yeah. you to be available in sixty seconds or less, which is what places like Uptime are able to offer, if they want you, someone of your caliber, to be doing that, the price of their agreement is probably going to be four x or five x yeah. what it currently is. Yeah. Whereas we can do this with an augmented partner in here where they can handle all the the level one stuff for us, and we partner with them and we manage them and look after them or whatever, and we're completely working with them. It's not like we, we palm it off to them, but we work completely with them, allowing you guys to get cost-effective support in there, fast support in there, which is really what you want. You want fast, cost-effective support, knowing that you've got legends like us in there to back it up if something goes all the way up to us. And that's that to me is if you pitch it the right way and explain it to them the right way, they'll get it and they understand the reason why and the reason why links back to them. They're getting the benefit of the, the lower price and the faster support in there. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I've got to look at the model, uh, you know, the financial side of things for us. You know, you talked about being like a million dollar service provider we are not far off we we will be three years old by the time we get to our next financial year and at that stage we'll be about eight hundred thousand dollars in turnover with essentially four staff now i i have many conversations with other msps who are 10 or 12 years old and they're they're at a million pounds million pound turnover in, in that case and they have about 14 people typically and i look at that and i'm like it took you 10 to 12 years to get there you have 14 people and now you're at that million pound turnover that was great. <laughs> yeah, but i i don't want that journey I, you know, and i don't want all the headaches and all the break fix and all the people that you know and, and the staffing challenges yeah. that come with that I am so blessed with the team that I have, genuinely. And even this last week has, has highlighted that to me spectacularly because I've I've just been completely out with COVID and that team have just run the business and I've had to do nothing. That's that's the amazing team that I'm blessed with. I can see as you scale that it's gonna it's gonna get more challenging. So I am in a lucky situation. I understand, you know, I'm not running that 15-year-old business with 10 or 12 staff. Is but I genuinely think we can get there really, really quickly. Has anyone got an affiliate link for Jason and Uptime that we can pop in the chat here so we all make millions off the referrals? <laughs> we can be rich. Or... He, he needs to get a referral program because I need to be on. <laughs> <laughs> I do hear a lot of good things about their, their service offering. He gets spoken about and like we're, we're not does. you know, pushing Uptime Solutions over any of the other players out there. No. As you said, there's Inbay, there's yeah. Barracuda, there's Connecticum, uh, Connecticum. Uh, Connecticum. <laughs> there's, there's loads out there. Uh, I think, you know, uh, and this Continuum. is going back to my conversation earlier about the vendor uh, MSP relationship as well. Jason is known throughout, the, you know, the tech tribe in the industry as being such a go-giver. He, you know, just helps people without ever mentioning Uptime Solutions. He would just talk about yeah. the business in that. So that's the reason he's grown. So there's probably a lesson there, isn't there, for, for everyone. He doesn't need a referral scheme because everybody loves the Correct. guy and refers yep. business across yeah. to him. So. Yep. But exactly. I think it's, it's, the model works. The genuinely does, yeah. the model works. You can outsource, you know, something that seems like a key part of your offering um but i would argue like i say it, it frees up your guys and it frees up their mental capacity to be better and sharper and faster at all the other things so when the escalations do come they've got so much energy for it because they're not dealing with that day to day yeah yeah and the industry's had 10 12 12 14 years to mature from when richard and i first used zenith infotech back in the day oh my goodness we had some dramas with that back then and um but it's 10 15 years worth of maturity during that time changes things drastically and it's still a highly complicated relationship like if you're going to set up an outsource knock relationship it's it's not like this you just slot it in and it works like it's going to be months and months of, of figuring out where lines are drawn and boundaries are drawn and setting expectations and making sure documentation is up to speed because that's one of the biggest ones that people find when they, they go into an outsourced relationship is they've got these massive documentation gaps in their business but you push through and push through and push through that six-month window and I, most people I say it's kind of a six-monthy maybe 
Scott, you might you might have some more data on that. But six monthy kind of window, you've got to push through, which is horrible because you're finding all these documentation gaps and everything. But once you get out that other side and you're where you are now, that's where you see the fruits of these relationships. And, um, I see and, it a bit like um, taking a new member of staff on. You you don't yeah, just plant yeah. them in the chair and say, no. right, yeah, <laughs> or if you do it, they don't stick around Correct. very long. Yeah. But this it's is like five new staff members. It's like taking a member batch. of staff on who, if you invest in the relationship and make them feel part of the team, yeah. that member of staff can grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and scale pretty much infinitely. Um, but the mistake I see, again, I talked about outsourcing sales and abdicating responsibility. Mm. It'll never work. If you hire an outsourcing company and then just throw a load of papers at them and say, right, get on with it, or treat them like lap dogs and say, right, we don't like doing this piece of work, you do it. It doesn't work because yep. you've got to treat them as part of the team. And I think you know, that's that's just the way it's got to work. Right. Here's a thousand tickets. Let me know when they're done. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I have actually seen PMSPs do that and wonder why the, the outsource knock relationship never worked for them because they literally say, here's all our 500 tickets that we've got overdue or whatever. Can you guys just work through that queue? And that's what they expect it to work from that. But yes, you're 100% right, Richard. You've got to put in the work. You've got to put in the work and there's there's – fun and riches and, and stuff on the other side but it's there's a, a tough period that you've got to go through in any relationship like that yeah Jazz in, in terms Jazz of finding um in, in terms of finding vas for for other things rather than knock and help desk nigel you mentioned uh, like upwork um i had a good great recommendation paul green um recommended time etc time yep, etc good. Yeah. um I, I got a va from there originally and they've been, they've been brilliant any other places we should be looking at for, for finding vas your local networking events asking there so if you you know if you're looking for somebody to help you with you know calendar inbox and things like that or whether it's accounting anything really if you go to your local networking events uh, and you know instead of trying to sell to people and say hey become one of my customers go in there and say i'm looking for somebody to help with this that and the other and watch how many recommendations you get that's that's where all of my nearly all of my team uh, uh team tub with you know they're all virtual assistants and we've um brought them all in through recommendations effectively so you can also push it out to your clients as well, but you've got to be careful when you do it to your clients in that you you make sure you say that we're, we're not willing to poach one of your staff, but it might be a husband or a wife of one of your staff members that's interested in the job in there. And so when when I've done that a few times, I've had people apply for the job and even one of our guys um, was actually one of our clients and applied for the job and got the job as our community manager in the tech tribe just by saying to the tribe, hey, if anyone knows anyone that wants to apply for a community manager role, we will not, like if one of your staff apply, we're not going to accept that application and we'll push it back on them. But if you apply for the role or if one of your partners, like your husband or whatever or wife or whatever applies, then then yeah, and we've had a few through that route. Upwork, as you mentioned, Pete's a great one all the time, but um, the thing I... That, that sometimes turns me off up work is um, that if you want to, if you then find someone that's awesome and they, the plan is to have them full time in your business, Upwork's got their separation fees, which are pretty extraordinary when you go and dig into the fine print to if you want to start paying them directly. Because Upwork take, I think it's 20% of the fees that you give them, they take as a, a hit that the, the end user doesn't, or that's their, their fee on top. And if you want to then hire the person directly, you've got to figure out how much that person. Or Upwork goes and figures out how much that person has charged on the platform at the highest hourly rate ever, times it by 2080, and then divides it by 12 or 14% and says that's your recruitment fee to pull them out so that you can hire them directly. And so we've, yeah. we've actually paid that on some occasion to, to pull people out because they've been so good, and I wanted to give them the 20% pay rise, and I've paid the six grand or whatever to Upwork to pull them out, which is essentially, when you really think about it, though, it's a cheap recruiting fee because I've paid mm. 10, 15, 20 grand to recruiters in the past. But you just got to be careful if you are going that route and you're looking for someone that you probably think is going to be full-time, be wary that if you want to get them out of the Upwork relationship, there's a five, six, seven, eight, nine grand thing in there that you've got to go through. But it's an incredible resource because, holy crap, you can find people from any discipline in there within hours. And we use it all the time. We've got, we've got all our, our experts at, um, at just little things. Like we've got a vMix expert and we've got a, a graphic designer and we've got all these ones that these people that work on the team that are just part-time people that were found through Upwork and they're amazing because they're 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 available, they're quick to find, and they the platform manages it really well. It's just when you go to full-time people, it's it can get a little bit pricey in there because of the recruitment. Oh, you you must be surely at the stage now where you have VAs to find you more VAs. Or you go, <laughs> <laughs> <Me too>. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, we only got four of us that run the tech tribe. We're nice and <laughs> we're nice and simple now. I used to have in my MSP, we did. Um, and I had my VA that did a lot of the recruitment stuff for the the other admin stuff in there. But I also outsourced things like buying my T-shirts and everything to my VA back then. She had we had an SOP for buying Nigel's T-shirts and buying everything in my 
I went a little bit overboard once I got into the whole first level VA world and went, oh, I can, I can get them to do everything. They booked in my car servicing and they did absolutely everything for me at that level. Um, but in, a hilarious bit in the the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, which you could argue started this whole move. Probably, yeah. Today, uh, but they, he went through the process of like, uh, okay, let's see what a VA can actually do, and it was like, oh, great, got clears my inbox, does my calendar. Yep. Uh, does all these things, and then they started to get into. Oh, I wonder if I can get them to organise. Uh, you know, my wife's uh, wedding anniversary. <laughs> uh, this but then it reached a stage. It was like, I want this person just air everything up and delivered it to a high standard. And I think he turned around to her and said, um, you know, what is the meaning of life? I'm having an existential crisis. She went away and did some research. And <laughs> <laughs> so, Shifted yeah, him yeah. on a core <laughs> philosophical level. Yeah, the, the tendency is to take it far once you, you get into the world. But um, uh, yeah, there's a million things you can get assistance with. And the whole thing, and the, when you think about it at a serious level, is like all of us in our businesses have got a, a level that we should be operating at in our business and, uh, and, and things that are our core competency in there. And when you look at a lot of the stuff that we do, like Pete said before, when you start mapping out all the stuff that you do in a business day by day, you'll find that 60, 70, 80% of it can be done via a good VA or a good EA or whatever at $30 or $40 an hour, where in reality, the, what an MSP owner's value that they're bringing to the business is in the hundreds of dollars per hour in there. And so, so the reality is that we might laugh about buying shirts and all of that sort of stuff, but if I can save myself half an hour because I can go and say, hey, can you just get me another batch of 10 black shirts because that's all I ever wear, um, that's then saved me half an hour that I can go and do on a $2,000 per hour task in my business. And I can go and put it towards my marketing funnel or, or building another team member up or whatever it happens to be. And so it's, it's highly, <clears throat> sorry, what was essentially outsourcing companies that we are as managed service providers. We get to our clients, don't we? And we say, Correct. don't worry about IT. We'll do it. There's better, there's better uses of your time. Concentrate on what you're doing. Yet so many people in the MSP industry resist Correct, outsourcing, yeah. which is exactly the same model. I want to tie up this conversation in the, the last couple of minutes that we've got. A couple of people on chat. So uh, Jez uh, Bellini says, my fear with the outsourcing model is not maintaining the culture of mm. the company that you create. And Theo uh, says, uh, Theo now says, I've got the same concern uh, where does the relationship strength with a client play a huge role in his opinion? Scott, what's your thoughts on this about the culture of a company being diluted or being lost by outsourcing? Oh, was, yeah, that was a huge concern of mine before, you know, when I was considering outsourcing just that first level of, because you know, it's the first point of contact when something breaks it was a massive concern of mine. But I think what I've had to do, because I know we've only got a couple of minutes left, and I'd, I'd love to dive into this, I think, maybe on a, another session. But, um, yeah. you know, what I've made sure is, like I say, is that transparency with the clients to make sure that they know that this is us and this is the level that we work at. And these are the people that we hold the relationships. So service management, TBRs, your quarterly reviews, yeah, TBRs we do those. Huge, you know. That's what we do. And that's the relationship that we constantly maintain. The service desk is the service desk. And so they know that that's there for that break, fix, you know, help desk type thing. And, and anyone in the business calls, but we maintain the relationships. And, and so, you know, I, I had to make sure before we chose the outsourcer that they would represent our values, that they would resonate with how we work. And, and I say we found a good match. It's really important to not just go for the, the cheapest option or, you know, the, the one that's got the most recommendations on Google. Do your research to make sure that it thoroughly represents your brand and it meshes really well. I had to get comfortable with that before I would trust anyone to talk to one of our customers. Um, so yeah, I think we could, we could delve right into that. Maybe we can do that for another session, but it's, it's a really important thing, Jez. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's got to be right for you and your clients. I think it's quite similar in terms of just specking out a job for a client, just the scope, you, you, you show them the scope, show them kind of where the responsibilities lie and you, you provide the escalation path as well. So if there are any issues, anytime you're always on the end of the phone, they can still get hold of you, still escalate yeah. things to you and then you can go and shout at the right person whatever you need to do <laughs> yeah I, I definitely think that's worth a um a, a longer discussion um it is that again next time then yeah i want to throw a book recommendation out i can never go through one of these things without throwing uh, one out for anybody interested in virtual assistance there's a book called virtual freedom by a guy called chris ducker uh, got that on the bookshelf uh, yeah it's incredible but really really good so um that's your homework uh, in between now and our next call perhaps i've just freaked out guys because i've just looked at the clock and it says it's 11 o'clock. And I was like, we've been going for two hours. <laughs> and then I remembered it's the one clock I've got in the house that I've not put back 
due to the British uh, uh, time changes uh, last Sunday. But um, yeah, we've been we've been going for an hour, so we should probably wrap up, shouldn't we, Pete? Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to the, Nigel, Scott and Richard. Thank you for your time today. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're watching this. Hopefully, most people are now watching on the actual YouTube channel itself. So link down, where are we on the screen? Down below, Scott. Um, <laughs> there should be a link down there somewhere to subscribe. Um, Nigel, are we podcasting yet? What, what's the uh, we The process is underway. It's probably going to take us two weeks or so to get them, them done and up and running. Uh, but in the next two weeks, we should have the podcast up and running as well. If you want to subscribe on your Stitcher or iTunes or Apple or wherever, um, it is underway. Podcast cover art's done. The person's starting to – we've got two people that we're going to choose from going through the VA process at the moment to, to pick the right person to go and do the work because there's a lot of work behind the scenes to go and syndicate out to all the things. So it won't be far off. Give us another two weeks and then this will be out streaming and all the episodes up until now will also be uploaded into there as well amazing that's brilliant don't forget to grab your 40 percent off of joining the tech tribe if you're watching this and you're not a tech tribe member i think all of us would quite highly agree it's one of the best investments anyone can make as an msb owner definitely do if you want to buy some microsoft services go through scott (laughs) if you want to rent richard's brain then uh find find the links down below i think for richard's brain as well and And um that's pretty it for this week what about for you (laughs) what you're gonna if, if oh, I'll, I'll, I'll pitch you, if you want some, if you want some awesome one-on-one business coaching around MSP stuff and scaling your stuff, go and check out Pete's stuff, notabusinesscoach.com. There you go. <laughs> and with that said, thanks for watching. Yeah. And we will be here same time, same place. I think the, the time changes. Is the time changing over there for you at all, Nigel? It did change. It is. It is about midnight for me now. No, I'm kidding. It's, oh, wow. it's now nine o'clock for me, nine p.m. for me. Oh, so it did okay. change because we let it was three versus one on this time zone change, and I, I wasn't going to fight against the three of you guys. So I changed a little bit later at night. <laughs> so same time, same place for us here in the UK. Yes, um, correct. In the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and we'll see you all next time, next week. Cheers. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye, guys. Oh, I'm the one that's got to press the end stream button. Yeah. <laughs> <Stay Yeah. cool. laughs>